Hey, welcome to episode nine of the Fit Life Formula podcast. My name is Brian Sippitz. I'm the founder of Advantage Strength in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The Fit Life Formula podcast is dedicated to the members of Advantage Strength, and, but it's also going to be really useful if you are somebody who wants to live vibrantly, who wants to move and be active and play all the way into your later years and uh, keep having fun, keep moving, um, and sort of pursue that young life even well into your later years. If you like the show, I'll just remind you to hit the subscribe button. And if you really like the show, we'd love to hear from you. You could give us a rating and a review. That really helps people understand a little bit more about what the show is about and how it can help other people. Today on episode nine, we're going to be talking about some things that we learned at the Perform Better Summit this weekend uh, that we're going to bring home to you because I think, you know, obviously the the summit is a three-day conference for fitness professionals, physical therapists, athletic trainers, and uh, anybody who's in involved in fitness or sport. Um, it's really for, for that population, but there's a lot of information that ultimately is going to help you uh, improve your fitness routine. It's going to help you make sure you're doing things the correct way and, you know, help you put together a better routine for yourself. So if you're not at a gym right now, like obviously we're going to take this information and make what we do at Advantage Strength even better. Um, but if you're not at a gym right now, these are a couple uh, tips, I guess, the, the five uh, best takeaways that we can give to those of you who, who are not with us right now, but could benefit from improving some of this stuff anyway. So the first one I'm going to share with you is, you know, we're going we're gonna to be sharing five things. The first one isn't so much a fitness tip, but I guess a, uh, a reminder to live your life, I guess, um, with a lot of attention to detail. And this is a story that I'd never heard before, and it's about Vince Lombardi. And uh, there's a lot of coaches who are legendary for their attention to detail. And I think a lot of people have heard the John Wooden, that John Wooden starts every basketball season. Uh, when he was at UCLA, he started every basketball season with the lesson of how to put on your socks and how to tie your shoes. Because ultimately what that means is, you know, they're spending less time with blisters, they're spending less time tying their shoe on the court. And ultimately that leads to, you know, a more efficient player. So uh, Wooden is is pretty famous for that. This is one I hadn't heard before, and so as the story goes, Vince Lombardi, you know, would uh, at the beginning of each season they have to cut the roster down after training camp. They have to cut the roster down. There might be 130 guys in an NFL camp. They have to cut the roster down to 60 or so. And so near the end of camp, after they've been making their cuts, you know, they cut the obvious ones and. Then there's about, you know, 70 to 80 players left. And really any of those 80 players could be on the 60-man team. And so the way that Lombardi would go about figuring out who to cut from there on out is they had a campus that, uh, that they would do their training camp on. And, you know, between the parking lot or between the um, field and the cafeteria, he'd put a sign out. He'd put signs out that said, stay off the grass or, or please don't walk on the grass. And he'd put those in a place where he could see from his office. And so then he'd just watch. You know, the direct line would be walk across the grass and into the cafeteria. Uh, but he was put up signs that, you know, encouraging the players to walk around. So then he'd sit in his office and watch and see who walked on the grass. And you think that's kind of a petty thing, but, you know, um, attention to detail is everything in football. So for him, he's looking for players who are able to take instruction who are willing to pay attention to details, even if it means doing things kind of the hard way. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a brilliant way to, to pare down the rest of the roster. So he's just looking for guys that take shortcuts and, and cut across the grass. So um, really kind of a brilliant way to 
I guess, weed out the players that would do that. So like I said, that's not really a fitness story, but I just, uh, over the weekend, that was one of the things that stuck out as something that would be really valuable. Um, and just make sure you're living your life, paying attention to the details and, and, uh, you know, doing things the right way. The second thing that I pulled from the weekend that I thought you might be interested in, and honestly, we're guilty of this because we've done our side planks this way for a long time. So a side plank is, um, you know, your, your body is straight, your elbows on the ground, and you're just sort of propping yourself up there. Think of like your very best posture that fell on its side. Um, so you're on your elbow and you're on your, you're on your feet. And we've always stacked our feet right on top of each other. There's new stuff that's come out now that shows that there's increased spinal loading. So increased uh, load on the lumbar spine when your feet are stacked like that. But there's also no difference in muscular activity when, when you um, split your feet or put your top foot forward. So now, you, now we're going to be doing them with both feet on the ground, top foot forward rather than stacked on top of the, um, the other foot that's on the floor. And again, we're getting the same muscular effort, but we're also reducing the spinal load, which is in the long run um, beneficial, especially if you have back problems. There's a lot of people who who do have touchy backs. And so we want to make sure that we're doing things the safest way possible for them and uh, make sure we're doing our side planks the right way from now on. So that's something that we've put in play immediately that we're changing. If you're, uh, you know, a side planks are something that are pretty simple to do at home. So if you're one who's doing those at home, um, make sure your top foot is going to go forward just in front of your other foot so that your feet are, are staggered and both on the floor rather than stacked up on top of each other. Another one along the lines of, of sort of the exercise technique, um, and really this is, this is sort of a, an all-around theme, um, and this was from the Mike Boyle presentation, and a lot of you will recognize that name if you've been listening to the podcast because we talked to him two episodes ago. And, uh, you know, saw Coach Boyle this weekend, had a little chat, and then also I went to his presentation. Um, and these are things that we do now, that we do at Advantage Strength already, but I think it's interesting for, for you to note if you're doing anything at home. And I'll, I'll sort of kick this off with a story. You know, in the morning when we wake up, she's since stopped, thankfully, because I've kind of told her to stop doing that. But every morning when we wake up, my wife would, you know, it, you know everybody kind of gets a little stretch before you get out of bed. Uh, but my wife would be laying there and she would take one leg and kind of throw it over to the other side um, with this big low back twist. And you hear lots of cracks and pops in the back. Um, and then throw the leg over to the other side, hear some more cracks and pops. Um, and doing that the whole time with her shoulders sort of fixed on the bed. Well, that might feel good for the time being because you get the, the back cracks and things like that. But what we know about the spine is, and this is just kind of like spine biomechanics from, from Stuart McGill, who's sort of the leading spine guy in the, well, probably the entire world. Um, spine biomechanics are interesting in that the, the degrees of motion available at each, each vertebrae as you go from your, um, wake, your waistband up get larger and larger. So the, the degrees of rotation in between each vertebrae close to your waistband in your lumbar spine is very little, so like three degrees. And then you add, you know, three degrees plus three degrees plus three degrees plus four degrees plus five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way up the spine, and you end up in the, the cervical spine where you get lots of, in, in close to 13 degrees of, of uh, turn in those cervical spine, the ones in your neck. So what that tells us is the, the low back is not meant to, to turn. 
Um, it's, it's meant to be more stable. If you look at the vertebrae themselves, they're, they're big, they're massive, they're, uh, they're big and chunky, and they just don't rotate that much. So to initiate rotation or initiate a turn from your lumbar spine uh, has, has been found to be, and this is, again, this is a quote from Shirley Sarman, who is a uh, sort of a leading physical therapist, and the, the quote is particularly dangerous. So to freeze your upper body and wave your legs from side to side, okay, I think that a lot of people are, are pretty, I think that stretch is commonly done where, you know, you maybe rotate your shoulders away and then kick your leg over so you get this big spinal rotation. The problem is that initiates the rotation from the place that's not supposed to be all that mobile or that's not supposed to rotate that much. Um, so when we do this, and I think, you know, people don't get sick of it because it, it's nice, it's a great stretch. We start almost every single day with a, a stretch where we curl up on our side, almost like fetal position, and then open your arm up towards the ceiling and try to lay it on the floor. So basically we're doing the same thing, but upside down. The reason we do that is because we're, we're mo- getting mobile or we're mobilizing the part of the spine that's supposed to be mobile. So you think you know, what's the difference? You're still twisting your spine. Well, the difference is we're keeping what's supposed to be stable, stable, and we're mobilizing what's supposed to be mobile. Um, and the stability and mobility thing we'll get back to in just a second. Um, but for you at home, if you're practicing, you know, if you need, uh, especially if you feel like you're losing rotation in your spine, uh, if you're a golfer, uh, beer league, softball player, something like that, and you feel like you're just losing a lot of rotation in your in your upper back, particularly if you have a you know a desk job where you're leaning forward a lot, then this is a great way to mobilize that curling or laying it on your side with your shoulders stacked right on top of each other, and then opening your hands up like a big book, um, and trying to lay your shoulder blades on the ground. So that's one way that you can mobilize your spine without putting your low back at risk. The fourth thing that we came away with, and this sort of goes along with the stability and mobility idea, um, and I'll, I'll breeze through this. It's a little bit, well, obviously it's not as cut and dry as this, but I'll breeze through it. Um, the, the theory goes that there are alternating joints from your feet all the way up to your head that, that alternate in what they need, right, between the need to be stable and the need to be mobile. So as you come up, your ankles need to be mobile. Your knees, your knee joints need to be stable. Your hips need to be mobile. Your low back needs to be stable. And on up the body, um, we kind of have alternating, alternating needs in, in major joint complexes. So what you'll find is, you know, a lot of times, let's take a, a hip, for example. If a hip is not mobile, you start to get problems either above it or below it. So you start to get problems in either the knee or the lower back. And so those are joints that are supposed to be stable, but let's picture someone who has this, um, you know, anterior pelvic tilt where their, their butt kind of sticks out and their waistband droops low in the front. Um, so their, their pelvis is tilted forward. Basically, if, if your pelvis was like a bowl, it would be like there was water dumping out of the bowl in the front. Well, what happens there is those are hips that are immobile, right? Which is what we want for the hip joints. So let's picture this person sprinting, right? And, or, or running. So when their leg goes back, if their hips are locked, their hips aren't mobile, 
their, their hips are going to reach an end of range of motion. And what um, the very next joint on the way up is going to be creating the motion, right? So we talked about how the hips are supposed to be mobile and the low back is supposed to be stable. Well, what happens when the, the hips run out of room is that the low back starts to take on that movement when it's really not like we talked about earlier, the low back is meant to be stable. So um, keeping your hips mobile, keeping your shoulders mobile, all these things are going to help, you know, with joint health, with helping uh, keep you moving, keep you out of like knee pain, low back pain, all of those things. And what I thought was pretty interesting from a Charlie Weingroff presentation, Charlie Weingroff is uh, a leading PT. He's out in New York. He's a guy that presents there year after year. Um, brilliant guy, has done a ton of a ton of different things in, in professional sports, in English league soccer, all these kinds of things. But he talked about uh, a lot, like kind of describes what happens when joints that are supposed to be mobile lose their mobility and what happens when joints that are supposed to be stable lose their stability. Um, so what happens when mobile joints lose their mobility? So think about uh, your hips get tight and you're just not able to really move them, you know, move them as much as you should be able to. You get degenerative changes. So a lot of times the the problems go not like the problem won't be at your hip. The problem will be in your low back. So if you think about it, if your hips are sort of frozen, you're going to get movement from somewhere. And that is usually your low back. So we see like degenerative changes in your discs um, and in the vertebrae itself. You can also see issues one joint down the chain at your knees, uh, which you know a lot of times can show, oh, cartilage damage, uh, wear and tear, extra wear and tear, early arthritis, that kind of stuff. So we see these degenerative changes when your hips become immobile. And a lot of times you would think, well, it's my knee problem. I just ha I have arthritis. It could be because your hips aren't aren't mobile enough. Um, so because of those degenerative changes, you, you're forced to slow down. It takes you longer to recover. Uh, these are all things that happen when mobile joints lose mobility. Now, when stable joints lose stability, so think, uh, you know, your knee needs to be stable. If you jump and land, let's say you jump and land on one foot, you want your knee to be stable because, you know, if it turns too far in or too far out, you can imagine there's, number, number one, you'd lose balance. Um, and so you want to be, be well balanced, but at this, you're also putting yourself at risk of injury. Say that knee collapses to the inside. That's where a lot of non-contact ACL injuries happen, um, particularly in basketball and soccer. So what you end up with, if stable joints are not stable, if your knee is not stable and strong as you land on that foot, or yeah, I guess you know we could use a non-sports example. If you're just walking and let's say you step on a little bit of ice and you slip a little bit or you, you step on some ground that's, that's unstable, if your, if your knee joint is not stable, you're going to be in a bad position. Your knee will get in a bad position, which puts you at risk for soft tissue injuries. Um, and at the same time, you, you've got inefficient motor strategies, so inefficient um, patterns. And we see this a lot like with the, with the skating community. We see a lot of jumping where the knees are almost knocking together as they, as they take off and land. Not only is that inefficient, it's also putting you at risk for soft tissue injuries. So if you ever watch yourself... Um, you know, we want to make sure that knees are right on top of ankles if we're talking about a jump. But in general, just keep in mind, we want your hips to be mobile and flexible. We want knees to be stable. 
so that they're sort of stacked right on top of your feet. Uh, ankle joints should be mobile. So if you can't if you can't put your toes against the wall and bend your knee to touch the wall without your heel peeling off the ground, that's a pretty extreme limitation in ankle mobility, um, and it could be leading to other parts or other injuries throughout your body. So keep those things in mind. Remember, ankles and hips and upper back and shoulders are all supposed to be mobile. Um, knees, elbows, low back are all supposed to be stable. So keep that in mind as you go forward. These are the kind of the way that your body's constructed anatomically, um, and it leads to better performance, fewer injuries, and just an overall better fitness life. So the last take home for you here, the last thing I'm going to share with you of the five sort of fitness tips that you can take home to make your fitness program better is, you know, talking about the studies that have been put together that really shed light on just how ineffective cardio is or, or you know, what we would consider cardiovascular training is at um, taking care of fat or getting rid of fat. Now, there are a lot of cardiac benefits, um, you know, in terms of VO2 max, improving your VO2 max, improving your cardiac output, all those kinds of things are, are, you know, benefits of cardio. But if you are a fat loss person, if you're looking to lose fat, more time on the treadmill is not going to help you lose fat. And there was a presentation by Alan Cosgrove, who's a guy, he, he has a place called Results Fitness out in California. He's been doing the Perform Better thing for a long time and is, is a huge authority. He's been in pretty much every men's magazine you can uh, be in and, um, you know, talking about strength training, talking about fat loss, um, really a guru in that area. But the presentation he put together was about just how bad cardio is at changing body composition or making, you know, helping you gain muscle and lose fat. And what he did was, it was a great presentation because he took three boring studies uh, or that could otherwise be boring and sort of personified them with people in the audience. And the story he told was, you know, and this goes along with what the, what the science says, what the experiment said. Um, basically, there were two people. Uh, one just went on a diet and one person for three months, four days a week, went to the gym for 45 minutes and um, did cardio, right? So spent 45 minutes on the treadmill four times a week. At the end of the three months, those two people got back together. Maybe they're getting ready for a wedding or something like that. Those two people got back together and their results were almost exactly the same. It was like 0.5 pounds difference between the person who just dieted, did not exercise at all, and the person who did an extra three hours of cardio every single week. And so maybe, maybe three months wasn't quite long enough. There was another study that was done for six months. Same situation, one person dieted, one person did more cardiovascular training. So more like uh, instead of 45 minutes, they went 50 minutes five times a week. So even more training and ended up with still just a pound difference between the two of them at the end of six months. And if that wasn't enough to convince you that he shared one more study that was a full year long Again, same sort of same sort of situation. In this one, though, the person who was doing the cardio actually lost three pounds. But when they dug into that weight, what they found was that they had lost, I can't quote it exactly, but it was something losing like 10 pounds of muscle. Um, so relatively, they hadn't really lost that much. They hadn't really lost much body fat at all, and they lost muscle. 
So they were relatively fatter at the end of a full year of cardio. Um, and again, that is like steady state on the treadmill or elliptical, uh, the kind of thing you do it. Well, I won't say it, but it's a, a big fitness brand that has a very cheap membership. So the gist of the whole presentation is that there's a way that you can strength train and it happens to be the, the agree with the things that we do at advantage. There's a way that you can strength train. There's a way that you can do interval training in a way that helps you lose fat and build muscle. Uh, the other thing about building muscle is, you know, when you have more muscle, your metabolism is actually higher. Muscle demands more than fat. And what that means is if you're just doing cardio, uh, you may be actually losing muscle mass. So ex excess cardio can help you lose or cause you to lose muscle mass. And the problem there is that if you're losing muscle mass, you might be losing weight. But if you're losing muscle mass, you're also losing metabolism or your ability to have a high metabolism. So strength training and high intensity interval training ended up being sort of the gems when it comes to losing fat. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I won't go into that really. But the overall gist of things, if you're spending time on cardio, you are better off spending less time and working harder in something like a high intensity interval training situation. Um, but you know, the, really the, the cool thing is, as I'm listening to this it, and I'll wrap up with this, as I'm listening to this, uh, talk about fat loss, a lot of it has to do, or a lot of it really agrees with the fit life formula. You know, we want two days a week of strength training, three days a week of something that you enjoy doing and one day a week of high intensity interval training um, and the strength training and the high-intensity interval training have been shown to help you lose fat. You know, that may or may not be your goal, but there's a ton of other great benefits that go along with that that make it uh, worthwhile to do. So really this weekend, it was really fun to see a lot of, you know, research and a lot of great pre presentations that really back up what we're talking about here in the Fit Life Formula. We're talking about three days a week of strength, or sorry, three days a week of something you enjoy, two days a week of strength training, and one day a week of a workout that just really sucks that's hard for you to do. So that's all we've got for today. Uh, hopefully you can take those tips and put them into use at home. If you need any help with anything, please feel free to reach out. My email is brian, that's B-R-I-A-N, at advantagestrength.com. I hope you're enjoying the Fit Life Formula podcast. I know it's going to help you stay active, have fun with your friends and family, and keep moving all the way through the rest of your life. Remember, if you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating and a review on the website. We're going to help people just like you live long and, and stay healthy and stay active as they age. Until the next episode of the Fit Life Formula podcast, until next time, guys, be sure to train smart and check out the Fit Life Formula podcast for the best ways to stay young and active the rest of your life. Take care. We'll talk to you soon.